What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped inside my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, it's all about the current worrisome state of publisher and developer Ubisoft. So let's talk about it and dive right into the episode in my news catch of the week. Gamers, let me just start by saying that I am absolutely stoked to say that this is the first episode of a brand new year and a brand new season four of Lost at Sea Gaming. So come on this journey with me. We got a whole year's worth of episodes to look forward to, and I can't wait to see what kind of gaming news and reviews and all kinds of a lot of fun stuff that we can talk about in the coming year ahead. But this week... My topic is all about Ubisoft and the potential trouble that they may be in as a publisher and developer. And let me just start by saying that Ubisoft to me is a very important company. And the reason why is because honestly, for roughly 20 years now, they have created some of my favorite franchises and characters in all of gaming. And they have sustained that for me for roughly those 20 years. Sure, they've had some better entries in certain series than others, but you're always going to have ups and downs no matter who you are, what medium you're in. It's going to happen. So I can give them that. But for me, Splinter Cell, Assassin's Creed, my favorite gaming franchise of all time, Far Cry, one of my favorite gaming franchises of all time, the Tom Clancy series in general outside of Splinter Cell, that's my favorite of the Tom Clancy line of games. But don't get me wrong, I've played quite a few Ghost Recon games and Rainbow Six games over the years. Graw, anybody remember that? Anybody old enough to remember good times on Xbox Live playing Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter? I mean... Man, I had a ton of fun, not just in the single-player aspect, but also in the multiplayer and co-op aspect of those original two games. Now, don't get me wrong, I did dabble in Rainbow Six Vegas, but outside of Vegas and Vegas 2, didn't really delve too much into the Rainbow Six realm of that series. But I will say, I've still thoroughly enjoyed what they brought to the table with those games, and look... I know those games kind of started back in the PS2 era, more so on the PC, and then once the PS2 and the Xbox started to go more online, they started to kind of migrate more towards consoles, especially with the onset of Xbox Live on the Xbox. My point in saying all this stuff and prefacing with this information is the fact that Ubisoft, in my opinion, is a very important company in the gaming industry. I feel like they have set a lot of standards and created just a lot of amazing possibilities for entertainment for us as gamers over the years. And I'm talking about the fact that they're potentially in pretty bad trouble right now because recently this past week it came out on investor calls and just different articles that I've read online that they really aren't. If you ever heard of, and I'm going to start right here with this game, Skull and Bones, and I feel like you probably have, because this game has been in circulation for roughly five years now. 
Skull and Bones is a game that has just now, again, this past week, been announced to be delayed. And again, it was initially first announced way back in 2017. Skull and Bones, if you didn't know, is basically an online multiplayer ship battle pirating saga epic, if you will. Kind of think about, at least in my opinion, what I've seen and what I know of the game, I can kind of relate it closest to Sea of Thieves on the Xbox by Rare. Now, Sea of Thieves is very much cartoonish in its character and just world design, whereas Skull and Bones is going full-on realism, and I love that about Skull and Bones. But I just I feel like here we are five years later, and it's just been nothing but five years of delays. Now, I mean, there was just so much potential here. And I, don't get me wrong, I was not planning on picking up this game because it just it seemed like it really was focused on the multiplayer aspect. Yes, you could play single player, you could go around, but it really was built to be played online with your friends. I mean, a lot of great stuff looked like it was going to be a part of the game. You can create a character, a pirate, your own ship, have massive customization options for both. And then you grab some friends and join a crew and go exploring the seas together and getting into ship-to-ship combat and melee when you're boarding other people's ships. You have different islands and villages that you can drop off at and explore and sell and trade and all kinds of fun-sounding stuff, right? Well, unfortunately, for the sixth time, we are now in question as to when this game is going to come out. Now, Ubisoft did say the new target looks to be early 2023 to 2024. Now, my God, Ubisoft, that, that's a year that you've just given a release window for, a whole year. Now, assuming that this means Ubisoft's fiscal year, the soonest that we will see Skull and Bones now will be April of 2023 because technically that is when their fiscal year starts. But it could be as late as December. Now, when you talk about Skull and Bones, man, why has it been delayed? Well, that's the first question that comes to my mind. So I think about this. Was it potentially too ambitious? Uh, I don't know. I'm not really 100% sold on that idea because, like I said, I feel like Sea of Thieves kind of already does what Skull and Bones has set out to do, albeit, again, with a less realistic approach to it. And maybe that may be a part of it, but I still, eh, too ambitious? I don't think so. What I personally think may be going on with this game is maybe there's not a clear direction for the final product of what it's supposed to be. You combine that with what I assume has got to be a ballooning budget and a diminishing financial support from Ubisoft because of the other underperforming titles that they've had recently that they mentioned that we'll get into here recently. I think that has more to do with it than anything else. I think that the game has changed a lot of hands as far as directors and designers and even the style of the game has changed over the past five years. So when you have all of these changes happening, I mean, constantly, you still have to pay people to do all these things if you're Ubisoft. So you have dropped and pumped a ton of your money and funds into this game over the course of five years. Gamers, a typical life cycle of a game being created and built. I mean, think about this. God of War 2018 came out in 2018 on the PS4. And then four years later, four and a half to be exact, 
we get the next God of War in Ragnarok. So a game of that level of expertise and scale and the amount of work and time needed to do that across generations, PS4 version, PS5 version, and that was still able to get done. Some may say, oh, well, you know, COVID really kind of screwed up everything in the game industry and development's pushed back by everybody. Sure, I'll give them that. But this was already being delayed before COVID, and it just continued after COVID, and it's still continuing now, what I would consider mostly post-COVID. So I don't really buy COVID as an excuse at this point. I really think it has a lot to do with the fact that the the funding for it and the lack of a clear direction is really just starting to weigh the project down. And it wasn't just Skull and Bones' delay that Ubisoft announced. So we don't know when this game is coming out at this point yet again. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see on that. If they ever do come out with another definitive release date, I will definitely pass that piece of information along. But the other piece that worried me about Ubisoft that was announced this past week was the fact that they mentioned some underperforming games. I had mentioned just briefly a second ago that there were some underperforming games that kind of contributed to their decision to delay Skull and Bones, among other things. Well, the two underperforming games were Mario Rabbids, the newest title in that series, as well as Just Dance 2023. Now, my thing is this, gamers, I don't know about you guys, but Just Dance, I feel like, first off, the dancing genre is a niche genre to begin with. Secondly, I feel like that genre exploded right around the same time as like Rock Band and Guitar Hero and, you know, music-based, rhythm-based games were massive for, I would say, roughly a five-year period, and then they just kind of disappeared for a while, and you don't really hear too much about them anymore and you don't see the massive influx of different titles and different updates and iterations. And I think there's a reason for that. And for whatever reason, <laughs> Ubisoft decided to still go forward with another Just Dance game this year and it underperformed. It didn't sell. But my thing is, is I don't think there's a market there for it anymore. And I don't know how Ubisoft didn't see that. Now, I don't have sales numbers in front of me in the previous, most recent Just Dance titles to sit there and kind of verify and confirm with facts that, hey, this series has been underperforming for a while, so you guys are nuts for coming out with a new one. I'm just going off of what I know based on what I see happening within the industry, online, and in uh, different events that we see where there's you know, different developers and publisher conversation. And I, you just don't hear talk about music and rhythm-based games anymore. So to see them focusing on that, not just Just Dance. Now, they didn't mention Rocksmith, but if you remember the last Ubisoft press conference they had or Ubisoft promotional showcase event, they highlighted another addition to Rocksmith, another upgrade or another version of it. And again, I think that that was a pretty successful run on that game, but now, I don't know if that's still something that has a market like it did five plus years ago. So I think that's the first problem. And then you have Mario Rabbids. Again, I, that is potentially, in my opinion, outside looking in again, another entry in a series that has continued to decline in popularity. I Everybody knows Mario, but do people, do kids who that game is marketed towards... Does 
do they even know who the Rabbids are from? Like, that's from the Rayman series. Rayman is, is obsolete at this point, and it makes no sense to me. Rayman was a shining exemplar of Ubisoft years ago, and he just kind of has faded from existence for all these years. I wish they would do a new one. But regardless, those were the two underperforming games. And I think that the reasons I stated are the contributing factors to why they underperformed. Now, in addition to the announcement that Skull and Bones was being delayed again, they also said that they canceled three unannounced games in this process to try to help curb some of the financial uh, flow from going into these three games and back into trying to get back on track. So what are those three unannounced games? I'm very curious to know what those were. But I guess we possibly may never know. Now, you know, sometimes things like this happen and a year from now, six months from now, we could be privy to the information that all these documents were released in court hearings and now they're public knowledge. And these are the games that Ubisoft was working on that they decided to to cancel. The thing is, is they were unannounced games. So I am kind of relieved in a sense that, okay, well, that means that none of the Assassin's Creed games they announced last year are canceled and none of the... Beyond Good and Evil 2, which I'm very much looking forward to, and the Splinter Cell remake and the Prince of Persia remake. So theoretically, all of those games should still be coming. So I guess time will tell. So next, I kind of want to just take a look and question, why do I think Ubisoft is struggling? In addition to what they have put out, why? what is my hulking Yoda's opinion as to why they are struggling? So honestly, I feel like first off, they have gone way too long without a massive game release. Far Cry 6 was arguably the last major game release that they had, and that was well over a year ago now. And the last major Assassin's Creed was released over two years ago with Valhalla. The Tom Clancy brand has been waning in gamer interest for a while, in my opinion, with the underperformance of Ghost Recon Breakpoint, absolute bomb of a sales standpoint for that game. We've had no new Splinter Cell for, I mean, my God, over a decade at this point, or about a decade. And Rainbow Six and The Division, really, they've only, they've been the quiet titles that have been left with updates and different styles uh, for their, at least for Rainbow Six with Extraction. But my point is, other contributions exist as well. Per Ubisoft, the move is a result of the company, quote, facing major challenges as the industry continues to shift towards mega brands and long-lasting titles that can reach players across the globe, across platforms, and business models. (sighs) So in response to this, Ubisoft is going to be implementing some immediate restructuring of the company for the remainder of its fiscal year, as well as lowered expectations for the last fiscal quarter. And they're also depreciating 500 million pounds of research and development on upcoming premium and free-to-play games and the games they're canceling. And it is looking to focus both on fewer games going forward and potentially restructure and reduce costs in the coming year. It's reduced net bookings target for the quarter ending in December to $725 million from its previous target of $830 million. 
Ubisoft has also noted that its goal has been to build large, overarching global brands and adds that games from the investment phase have yet to be released, while our recent launches have not performed as well as expected. Now, obviously, end quote. Now, obviously, the news of all this is going to have investors kind of concerned. And because of that, they questioned Ubisoft. Hey, so what do you guys have left to put out with all these delays and cancellations? Like, are there any games that are going to be coming out? So they were, in a sense, reassured through a immediate investor call that for the next fiscal year, which is the one that starts in April that I mentioned earlier, they, Ubisoft, plan on still releasing Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which has already been delayed as well. Mind you, uh, it does look awesome, though. I will say that Assassin's Creed Mirage, which I still hope is coming out no later than August, to be honest. But we'll see what happens there. And then quote from Ubisoft, other premium unannounced games, including a large one. And that's got me really excited because I'm like, OK, so they have other premium unannounced games including a large one. What is that large one? I would assume maybe if there was another game coming out in this fiscal year, starting in April, going through December. I mean, it's been two years come this October. Maybe it's Far Cry 7. Maybe it's one of those interim games like Far Cry New Dawn instead of Far Cry 7. I don't know. Regardless, there's a lot here to unpack. I definitely do feel that they're going to release Mirage and Avatar this year. I feel like they have to release Avatar. With the Way of Water releasing and the hype and the popularity around it, they got to release it this year. Mirage, uh, I feel like, as I've already stated, two years have passed and no new Assassin's Creed. That's got to come out. But outside of those two, I really don't know that I feel confident in what these other premium unannounced games are and if they actually are going to come out. I would love to say that Splinter Cell and Prince of Persia remakes are going to come out during this fiscal year as well. But there really hasn't been any other news outside of the, again, (laughs) constant delay of Prince of Persia's remake. And just the fact that there was that confirmation, yeah, we're making a Splinter Cell remake. And that was it. It's a ways off. (sighs) All right. So I'm really crossing my fingers here for Ubisoft and I'm hoping that they figure it all out and that they get some really big hits released this year to kind of right the ship and get back on course. But at the end of the day, they just they got to start making and putting out more games. So we'll see what the future comes. Hopefully it's a positive one for Ubisoft. Now let's open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, this is my first captain's log that I'm able to share with you in three weeks. I have not been able to give you an update on my gaming journey in over three weeks now. So I have a lot to cover. And the first game I want to talk to you about has to be the one that I had talked most about before we had this break in Captain's Logs. And that is God of War Ragnarok. Over the course of a portion of that three weeks, gamers, I put 25 hours into God of War Ragnarok, brought me to a total of 79 total hours put into that game. And if you were wondering, that was enough for me to beat the game. And I have a little Platinum Pursuit update right here, right now. 
So you guessed it, I was very successful in getting the Platinum. The Platinum Trophy for God of War Ragnarok is officially mine. It's in that trophy case. The one that doesn't really exist except for in my mind, but I love it. I am massively proud of that Platinum Trophy. It was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get there. And it was just a lot of amazingness too, though, at the same time, because God of War Ragnarok is just absolutely phenomenal. It is my favorite PS5 game that I've played so far without question, and it is also officially my favorite game of the entire generation so far that we've experienced these past two years since the launch of the PS5 and the Series X. Now, just a brief piece here on the rest of what I did in the game, because I will be having a review for you listeners very, very soon, hopefully within the next week or two of the release of this episode. So hopefully by the end of January, I have that review out there for you. But I will just say that Man, I really loved what they did with the ending of the game. I was very satisfied with how they closed out everything. And there was a lot of stuff for me to do <laughs> when it when it was all said and done with. Because there is a decent amount of post-game content. And if you've looked at anything about God of War Ragnarok, or if you played the game yourself, then I'm sure you're aware of the Berserker fights, which are Ragnarok's version of the Valkyrie fights from 2018's God of War. Oh man, they uh, they were fun. Uh, that, that's the word I'll put to it on this uh, <laughs> on this piece in this episode. They were fun, and there was also one other fight that was a little bit even more fun than any of the berserkers that I faced, even the king berserker. But I will leave that as a surprise for anybody else who is looking to do 100% and get the Platinum and God of War Ragnarok as well. So absolutely loved my time in this game. Hopefully, you guys will look forward to the review, and I will get that out, hopefully, within the next two weeks. But God of War was not all I played over the course of this past three weeks. Next up, I finally got back to some Sonic Frontiers. Gamers, over the course of this past three weeks, I only got about another hour and a half further into Sonic Frontiers, but it was a lot of fun. If you remember, I know it was a while ago when I last updated you on my progress in the game, but where I had last left off, I had just completed the first Titan boss fight and finished the story of the first island and made my way to the second island, which was kind of like this desert setup. It was a very brown, sandy, barren, rocky kind of looking area, and that was it. I literally had the cutscene that's playing when you get there. I got control of Sonic. I paused, saved. That was it. That's all I had done up until last week. And in that hour and a half that I played, I finally was able to start exploring Ares, which is the name of the island. And through the course of that exploration, I did some challenges, fought some new enemy types, learned some new combat moves, and I got an S ranking on a few of those absolutely amazing cyberspace levels the cyberspace levels are my favorite part of this game so far and i mentioned it before in previous captain's quarters where it's it's classic sonic i mean it's all about speed and these stages typically have multiple objectives that you have to do in order to get those s rankings things like complete the stage and get to the finish line under the part time get the requested amount of gold coins throughout the course of your time in the stage as well as find the four hidden red coins 
there's all kinds of different things that you can do and it feels really good when you get that s ranking trust me i was i felt like a boss when i was going through getting all these different s rankings on the multiple different cyberspace challenges that i was going through i had a lot of fun ultimately though in aries and what little i did play of that hour and a half i met up with knuckles and very interesting stuff going on there i i really really want to get more time into that game it's just been kind of hard where i was focusing on god of war ragnarok and man but sonic was not the only platforming icon that i had some time with over the course of these past three weeks next up i want to share with you my time with kirby and the forgotten land gamers if you'll remember this is the first kirby game that i've ever really truly given any kind of depth of time to i've dabbled in kirby in the past but no more than minutes i mean mere minutes this is the first game that really caught my eye and i was like you know what i really want to try this i really want to play this this actually looks pretty cool i've always wanted to give the series a shot and i wasn't disappointed with this game I really only spent about 30 minutes, though, playing this. And if you know me and you've listened to my show, the Switch for me is the system that I usually play within the last hour to hour and a half before I turn out the light and go to bed. If I stay awake for the whole duration of that time frame, which, unfortunately, the three different play sessions I attempted with Kirby did not happen. I only ended up with that 30 minutes across three different play sessions. It does bring my total play time to three hours, though, and I did have a lot of fun in that 30 minutes that I played. I did go to the next main stage, which was a trip to the Alive Mall. And I'm in the Highland Plains, the beginning, I guess, region, if you will, of the game. And the mall was a lot of fun. It was exactly what I wanted from it. I mean, it was really cool going through this overgrown, post-apocalyptic seeming setting with this mall and walking through and there's escalators that are still working and there's foliage overgrown on certain areas of the building on the exterior as well as the interior. You got shop front windows and different things that you're passing and the signs that are on the walls. I mean, it just... It really sold the whole mall aesthetic. I really, I loved it. Uh, there was a lot of fun stuff too here in the mall. There was some good level design and it's always been the case in what I've played so far of this uh, Forgotten Land version of Kirby. And there was a little mini boss that I fought. Frosty was his name and Frosty gave me a new icicle cap, which allows Kirby to blow out frozen breath and with that, you actually freeze enemies, and it also can put out fires, obviously, and different things that are in the environment. So as is the case with most of Kirby's transformations, it's a double-edged sword. You can use it for both environmental puzzles as well as taking out enemies. This was no different. And honestly, it really just cracked me up because as you're moving around wearing this cap, Kirby is genuinely ice skating. <laughs> it's just kind of skating and strolling and gliding right on through the level and then when he jumps when you have to jump he does the little twirl in the air like he's a figure skater like a triple axle i think is what one of them's called it was just cracking me up i, I was i was loving it and a lot of fun in this game i didn't get all the collectibles the first time through because the mall has multiple paths that you can go down and the one path that i took the first time through the level 
it kind of locks you off from going back. So I had to finish out the level, but then I wanted to go back and get the other collectibles or different side quests, if you will, that pop up for you in each stage before I moved on to the final stage of the Highland Plains, which I'm actually really excited for. It's where the first boss, like major boss of the game is residing. And I cannot wait to experience that and share that experience with you. So hopefully that'll be sooner than later. But that was my time with Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Had a lot of fun, even though it was only a short 30 minutes period of time. But this next game, man, I was so excited to get back to. And that game is a Plague Tale Requiem. Gamers, it's been roughly two months from the point that I stopped playing a Playtale Requiem to play God of War Ragnarok to where now I've picked it back up and continued right where I left off. I did drop eight and a half hours into the game over the course of this past week. And in that process, I was able to complete three chapters in the story. And if you have not remembered, which I don't blame you because it was a while ago, two months ago, that I was last talking about my time in this game, what chapter I was on, I had played through the first seven chapters by the time Ragnarok released. So I've now completed eight, nine, and 10, and I am making my way through 11 of 17 as we speak. Now, I picked up at the very beginning of chapter eight because I literally completed chapter seven, watched the opening cutscene for chapter eight, and once it gives you control, pause, boom, that was it. So the very beginning of chapter eight is where I picked up. And finally... I was able to, in the process of playing this time, this session, I was able to finally get to the island that has been shown off in all of the trailers pre-game launch. And that was the most exciting thing for me that I was looking forward to, was getting to this tropical-looking setting and just the island in and of itself. It just sounded really cool. And knowing the story of A Playtale Innocence, the first game, and what possible gameplay options could be awaiting me on this island i was just super stoked to get there finally got there and man let me tell you uh once i progressed into the chapter nine i mean man there was just a a massive portion of the island for you to explore and i was absolutely not disappointed because this is exactly what i was wanting in chapter 10, we really kind of got back to less exploring and lore and story. And it was really more back to about the stealth and using rats and avoiding rats and getting around the evil knights. And overall, obviously, I still enjoyed it. That is what A Plague Tale is all about. And I think that the game is very well balanced in that sense. It's just a, it's a perfect balance, I think, of story and pacing and puzzles and combat or stealth sections and just the way they implement everything it's really really well paced out and well done but as i stated i started chapter 11 had to end my play session soon after getting into that and i have not been able to go back since at this point i cannot wait to get back to it and continue progressing and i mean look i'm on chapter 11 out of 17 the chapters kind of vary in length, but I'm hoping that I can finish this up pretty decently quick and be done with it before the end of January when that Dead Space remake drops. Uh, we'll give you a Platinum Pursuit update because I had made a claim that I was going to be doing a Platinum Pursuit for this game. So as of this current recording, I am still planning on going after the Platinum, 
But if you were unaware and were curious yourself about going for a platinum in this game, there are three different play styles that you can basically progress or level up throughout the course of play. And not manually, but it's just based on how you approach an area and enemies within the area. And it's essentially, are you pure stealth? Are you pure, uh, are you a, a mixture like stealth and kill people? Or do you just kill people? And basically it's how you attack or approach a given area and those enemies within the area dictates which one of those three different play styles levels up at the end of a section. So it depends on how many of those three, because I've heard it's kind of tricky. It can take some time. You might have to do a new game plus, uh, potentially all the way through or through the bulk of the game a second time. Don't necessarily know with my time frame if I want to do that, but we will see. But as of the time of this recording, I'm still planning on going after that Platinum Pursuit. But I am absolutely loving this game, and I'm excited to stick with it and see where the story ultimately goes. So that was what my Captain's Log and what I was playing this past three weeks was. Now let's go see, out of all of that, what my highlight of the week is. Gamers, when I look back at my roughly 35 hours of playtime these past three weeks, there's a lot of great moments that happened over the course of that time. But really, it's a no-brainer for me here. My highlight over these play sessions was easily beating and getting the Platinum and God of War Ragnarok. Again, I am just so massively proud of getting that Platinum. Unfortunately, in God of War 2018, I let it slip away from me, never went back to it to get it and to finish what I started. So I was determined to not allow that to happen to me in Ragnarok. And I'm very happy to say that I did not <laughs> allow that to happen to me. And, uh, you know, there was a story there with the Valkyries in 2018 I defeated every single Valkyrie, every single one of them. And then you have that final fight against the Queen Valkyrie. And I just couldn't get past her. I, I just could not. And in looking at it, it's basically one of those things where I had to go do some more leveling up and grinding and just never ended up finalizing that to where I can go back and defeat her and finish up what else I had left in the game. I regret that to this day, but... I do feel somewhat absolved in defeating all Berserkers and the King Berserker, as well as the other fight that I mentioned earlier, and getting that Platinum and God of War Ragnarok. Amazing, amazing feeling. Amazing game. Man, easily my highlight <laughs> over these past three weeks. Now, let's go open up a chest of buried treasure gaming tips for you that I have in God of War Ragnarok. Gamers, this week I wanted to give you tips when it comes to the Berserkers in God of War Ragnarok. Now, if you're like me and you're just kind of playing the game and you haven't really read too much online or didn't want to spoil anything for yourself, you may not know some of these details that I'm about to share with you about the Berserkers. Now, first and foremost, when you look in-game, when you're following that quest line, it says there are... You know, zero out of 12 Berserkers defeated, or as you defeat them, obviously, one out of 12, two, three, four, and so on and so forth. So it says 12. Well, I'm here to tell you, don't waste time or worry about not unlocking or seeing 12 Berserker tombstones or gravestones, because there are not that many. <laughs> there are only 10 gravestones, and if you don't know yet what that 
means the gravestones of the icons on the map or the locations on the map where you actually go and initiate the fight with the berserker. So there are only actually 10 berserker gravestones in the game and 12 berserkers that you have to fight. The reason why, heads up, one fight has you fighting two berserkers at once and another fight has you fighting three berserkers at once. Now, I will also say that after you defeat all of them, you still have to fight and defeat the King Berserker. So, be prepared uh, to, to buckle up and to take out, I would suggest, as many as you can as you come across them in regular playthrough of the different realms. Now, I will also suggest to you that during the fights, absolutely make sure to take advantage of charging the elemental aspect of your weapons and using them. Now, what I mean is, as you are landing attacks with any given weapon, whether it's the drop near spear, the Leviathan axe, or the blades of chaos, there is a little icon that is right there on the bottom left in your HUD as you're in combat, and it's constantly building up with every hit. Now, once it fills, you can press L1 and triangle and it will basically charge your weapons with whatever that weapon's element is. And then you have a very brief amount of time. Basically, it's a circle, the icon is. So you have until the circle depletes to use the, these charged now weapons. And I can tell you, you want to take advantage of this. And not just the berserker fights, but especially berserker fights, boss fights, but any fight going forward, I wish I'd really latched onto this more earlier in the game. But man, massive amounts of damage are added to each landing strike that you get when you are using the charged up elemental aspects of these weapons. So pay very close attention to that. Do not sleep on that. Absolutely comes in handy. And just constantly use your runic abilities and don't sleep on the runic abilities. I've said that in a buried treasure before. Don't sleep on those. And it just does not change whatsoever when it comes to those berserker fights. But the key here, I wanted to clarify the amount of berserkers, the amount of gravestones, as well as the importance of charging and using the elemental aspects of your weapons. Now, believe it or not, it is time it is that time of month to check in with my trophy level progress and my gamer score questing. And I had given myself my last captain's quarters in December. I had given myself a goal to reach by this recording and each trophy level and gamer score. So let's go see and start out first how I did in my trophy level progress. Gamers, just to clarify... In my mid-month episode of Captain's Quarters, which the mid-month episode is always when I do my trophy level and gamer score questing updates, I did give myself a goal to reach in each by the mid-month of January. I also gave myself a goal to reach by mid-February on last week's episode, my look ahead at 2023. So just clarifying that, I do have two different goals out there. But the first goal, obviously is the one we're here to talk about right now, which is the one I gave myself back in mid-December. So at that point in time, my trophy level was 221, 36% completion towards 222. 
and I had given myself a goal of reaching trophy level 222. Currently, my trophy level is... Well, first let's see what trophies I unlocked. 28 trophies total, 9 bronze, 12 silver, 6 gold, and 1 platinum. Was that enough to get me to trophy level 222? <laughs> Absolutely it was. I am currently sitting at a trophy level of 224, 30% completion towards 225. So obviously I smashed, decimated, destroyed that goal of reaching 222 by this recording. And the other thing is my new goal now going forward for the February 11th episode of Captain's Quarters is going to change because obviously I given myself a goal of 224 last week for my mid-February episode. But since I've now already hit that goal, I'm going to alter the goal and bring it up to 225. So hopefully that 70% that's remaining from 224 to 225, I will be able to unlock and acquire that next trophy level over the course of the next 30 days. Now let's go see how my gamer score quest fared. Gamers, if you will have noticed, the only game that I played that I talked about over the past three weeks, which would have been pretty much since my last update and my goal that I gave for myself back in mid-December, the only game I played for Xbox was Sonic Frontiers. And I did not unlock, unfortunately, any gamer score in that game. I did have a gamer score of 292.505 with a goal of reaching 293,000. So I only needed 495 gamer score. Problem is, you got to play some Xbox to unlock those achievements, which I did not do outside of that hour and a half in Sonic. So I did not advance that gamer score goal. I did not achieve that goal. So I am retaining that same goal for the February 11th episode of Captain's Quarters. So 293,000 is the number I'm reaching for by then. So check back next month to see if I'm able to be successful in both my trophy level progress and gamer score quest goals. Next, this week's Captain's Decree. Gamers, we started out this episode talking about Ubisoft, and we are going to close out the episode talking about Ubisoft. And this week's decree is this. What is it that Ubisoft needs to do to get back to the top? To be at that point where they were 5, 10, 15 years ago, where they were just releasing banger after banger after banger. What do they need to do? So first off, and I kind of touched on it very briefly in the catch of the week of this episode, but they've got to start releasing more games and not just games for the sake of releasing games. I'm talking about big, excitable titles, games like the Prince of Persia remake or a brand new Prince of Persia. I'm telling you right now, the excitement level, I really do feel like the gaming community wants that title, whether it is a remake, a good one, or a brand new game set in that series, reboot the series. Beyond Good and Evil 2, where is it? Man, it seemed, now that may have been a little bit more ambitious uh, than what they were expecting initially, as opposed to Skull and Bones, where I said it wasn't, I thought, the ambition. 
But beyond good and evil too, I mean, even if it is too big or too ambitious, okay, scale it back. Dial it back. I mean, what made the original Beyond Good and Evil so great and such a cult classic wasn't the fact that it was this massively ambitious game. It was just perfectly crafted with a great story, great characters, and gameplay. That's all you got to do. <laughs> but Beyond Good and Evil is a series that is untapped. And honestly, even Skull and Bones at one point, I feel like years ago, would have been a title that a lot of people probably would have tried out. Sea of Thieves is proof of that. It's a very successful title for Microsoft and has been consistently supported by its player base. So I feel like they kind of missed the boat, and I'm not even being sarcastic or pun here, but I feel like they kind of missed the boat with Skull and Bones, and I don't know, do they even release it at this point? But my point is, you got to start releasing more bigger titles, like, and not just relying on... <sighs> one or two key franchises. Look, I love Assassin's Creed. I love Far Cry, but you can't just rely on those two every couple years. You got to have other stuff in between and you got to use that in between time to test new IPs. I mean, back in the day, I feel like Ubisoft was constantly putting out new IPs. Think about Brothers in Arms. Where have we seen a Brothers in Arms? I mean, the quality kind of diminished towards the last couple titles, but when that series first started, it was really good quality games. So why can't they revisit Brothers in Arms? Again, Beyond Good and Evil. Rayman, I mentioned earlier. Why can't we have a full-fledged Unreal Engine 5 next-gen Rayman game? I'm serious. Not a 2D side-scroller. I'm talking about full-on Rayman, 3D, Unreal Engine 5. Let's go. <laughs> like there's so much untapped potential here for Ubisoft. And again, Tom Clancy, I mean, Ubisoft, Splinter Cell, people have been asking for Splinter Cell for years. I feel like, why did you put it so dormant for so long? I, between Splinter Cell and getting back to what people loved about Ghost Recon and Rainbow Six, I don't feel like is, is hurting too much, but I also feel like they just, I don't know, they've... They've lost something and they need to get it back when it comes to creating new IPs and trying out new ideas. And, you know, even when you look at Lords of the Fallen and, and things of that nature, I mean, there's just different things that they're so able to try out. They have different racing genre titles that they could exploit. I mean, there's just a lot there. Everybody's entitled to make some poor decisions here or there and learn from them. But man, I just, I really wish that uh, <laughs> they would have made a lot less of them over the course of the past five years or so. And ultimately, to close out, don't rely as much on games as a service. Get back to what got you big in the first place. And to me, at least in my experience and my close friends' experience at the time, and my close friends now who I know what they want from Ubisoft... Get back to single-player games is what I'm getting at. I mentioned earlier, Prince of Persia, Splinter Cell, Beyond Good and Evil. Stick with Assassin's Creed. Don't milk it. Don't overdo it like you did at one point. But keep it fresh. Keep it solid. Same with Far Cry. There's, just, there, there's a lot there that Ubisoft has at their disposal. And I feel like in some ways they're wasting some of these IPs and some of these opportunities and... It just makes me cringe to think of the amount of money that they have lost, essentially, over the five years of the development cycle of Skull and Bones. Uh, just, it baffles me of what they could have put that money into that would have probably already released and potentially been very successful. And they wouldn't have had to report these 
underperforming titles and uh, underperformance for the quarter. And hey, because of this, we're going to have to cancel three games just to stop costs or, or funds going to those and supporting those games to now we can divert that money somewhere else to stay afloat. They shouldn't be in this position, gamers. And I really, really hope that they figure it out quickly and that we can sit here even a year or two from now and praise the decisions that Ubisoft has made. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com as well as searching for Hulking Yoda on the PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo Switch networks. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.